Welcome to the Oncology Soundbite, a podcast produced by the Seattle Cancer Care Alliance designed to offer bite-sized, audible oncology education from one of the top cancer treatment centers in the nation. I'm your host, Amy Martin, a senior physician liaison at the Seattle Cancer Care Alliance. During this episode, we'll focus on some rather timely news out of ASCO about the recent findings of the first new study on the impact of COVID-19 on patients with cancer. With us to detail these findings more, I'd like to introduce Dr. Petros Grievous, who serves as the clinical director for the GU Cancer Program at SCCA. Welcome to the show, Dr. Grievous. Thank you much, Amy. It's a great pleasure to be with you. It's wonderful to have you. So I'd like to start with the first question. I'm very curious to find out how this study just got underway in the first place. That's a great question, Amy. About, uh, I would say, uh, in the beginning of March, when the pandemic uh, was uh, in the early steps in the United States, many oncologists, including myself and others from other cancer centers, were wondering how we can optimally treat our patients who have cancer but also get infected with COVID-19. And through that uh, dialogue, uh, this unmet need to get answers, we formed this consortium called CCC19, COVID-19 and Cancer Consortium. And uh, here at Seattle Cancer Care Alliance, Fred Hutchison Cancer Research Center and University of Washington, we're part of the founding institutions for this consortium, aiming to ask and answer important questions about risk factors, treatment patterns, and other details, clinical outcomes uh, for patients um, with cancer who get COVID-19. And that effort has led, has, uh, led to a lot of uh, information, knowledge, and a recent uh, publication as well as an oral presentation at the ASCO annual meeting. And uh, I'm very uh, pleased to share some of the early results with you. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, I would love to learn more about um, what the results are and also what the methodology was that you used. Absolutely. This uh, effort started, as I mentioned, uh, through this dialogue that we had with Vanderbilt University and other institutions. And we, we formed a REDCap secure database that uh, can be um, uh, shared with multiple institutions in multiple cancer centers where the local providers uh, can access it and uh, usually they get some form of regulatory approval in the local institution. And when they access the survey, they can uh, fill out the different data variables uh, that pertain to different clinical information. For example, what uh, were the characteristics of the patients uh, that um, had cancer and also got infected with COVID-19. What was the prior history of cancer? What was the cancer type? What were the treatment details uh, for those patients? And uh, also they fill out information regarding um, the diagnosis of COVID-19, um, what um, clinical course these patients had, were they hospitalized or not? Did they require oxygen? Did they get to intensive care unit? Did they need the ventilation? support and ultimately what was the clinical outcome? Did they do well or did they uh, succumb to the COVID-19? So we try to capture this clinical information in a very granular way 
And we use this me- method of crowdsourcing that, you know, multiple institutions at the same time fill out the survey. And we're able to, uh, in a very short amount of time, collect uh, a large number of cases uh, and that we then use to analyze centrally with uh, our colleagues at Vanderbilt University, uh, with a statistician support, uh, we're able to analyze those surveys and um, uh, using uh, very advanced statistical methods, come up with particular statistical analysis. Uh, and um, of course, I can send the results with you in a bit, uh, but all this effort was coordinated by a steering committee consisted of 11 individuals. And um, uh, we have very strong representation here in Seattle um, are from um, our institution, uh, SCCA, uh, UW and Fred Hans, um, Dr. Gary Lyman and myself uh, were a part of the steering committee along with uh, nine other exceptional colleagues that oversaw this uh, process and all this effort. Wow, that was certainly a very involved process and really impressive, all the work that uh, went into this study. Uh, what would you say, did you run into any challenges or limitations in your work to try to pull this pull this together? Absolutely. Uh, challenges and uh, limitations were definitely part of, of uh, uh, this effort, but uh, I have to say that we, we tried with perseverance and persistence to overcome these challenges. Um, I think uh, the challenges were of different nature, logistical challenges, how do we form the, the survey? What, which questions are we going to uh, add? And uh, how can we incorporate the literature and new findings that were published at that time from China, Italy, and other uh, areas in our survey to make sure we ask relevant and updated questions? And you know, how long could we continue you know, uh, updating the survey? And which was the time point that we have to lock it and you know, let the participants answer it? Uh, and then how do we go about regulatory compliance about the different centers? Do we need to get, you know, do the investigators need to get IRB approval, which was the case in uh, 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 most, if not all, centers? And then what about data transfer, right, and, and, and data sharing? So we had to make sure we cover all these uh, logistical and regulatory um, uh, considerations. And I think uh, the steering committee worked really hard uh, to, get, to, go, to work together and uh, try to uh, find solutions. Uh, and here are the uh, Fred Hats, SEC and UW were able to uh, submit this protocol to the IRB and get an IRB approval uh, very quickly, I would say, in an expedited review fashion uh, that helped a lot with uh, our research. So um, uh, overall, I would say that all the effort w- has been worth it and we keep going in this uh, 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 overall uh, COVID-19 and cancer consortium uh, effort with uh, increasing number of institutions uh, joining us. And uh, of course, a lot of attention uh, from um, uh, the NCI, from ASCO, American Society of Hematology, ESMO, and other organizations uh, that actually help us partner with some of them and uh, try to, of course, generate important information for our patients and the cancer providers. That's incredible work that you did, especially over such a short period of time. Um, what would you say, where do you go from here? And as far as those main findings that you were able to identify, and then where where do you take that information from here? So I will start, Amy, with the main findings, just to summarize the key findings. So we, we presented this data at the American uh, 
Society of Clinical Oncology, ASCO, a virtual meeting uh, that uh, took place um, uh, about three weeks ago, virtually, and uh, Dr. Jeremy Warner from uh, Vanderbilt University presented this data. One of our early questions were, uh, had to do with what were the risk factors that could correlate with higher chance of death from COVID-19 in patients with cancer. And at the time of the first analysis, we had uh, a little bit uh, short of 1,000 uh, patients that we analyzed, and we uh, tried to do a sophisticated statistical analysis, uh, accounting for different uh, caveats and confounding factors. Uh, and we came up with some risk factors that were associated with higher 30-day um, uh, mortality, meaning higher chance of dying uh, within a month. Um, uh, from COVID-19 uh, in patients with cancer, or, or, or specifically in this particular analysis, we uh, capture any death, even if it was related to COVID-19 or not. So we call this all-cause mortality, so death of any cause. And we saw that uh, older age, patients who uh, are more senior, male sex, men versus women, um, uh, history of smoking, um, also very uh, poor performance status, which means more limited functional status of the patient. All of those factors were associated with higher risk of dying in patients who had cancer and COVID-19. Also, we saw that the presence of cancer itself um, as an active cancer versus history of cancer with no evidence of recurrence was a risk factor. So patients who had active cancer right now compared to those who had prior cancer in the past and, and, and now they're in remission, uh, the former category had higher risk of dying. Uh, also, if the cancer was growing, was, was progressing, uh, that was another risk factor. And uh, also, we looked at uh, different treatments that these patients received. And of course, we have to take the data with a grain of salt because of different selection confounding factors here. But uh, we noted that patients who received uh, the combination of hydroxychloroquine and azathromycin um, uh, had a higher chance of dying um, uh, compared to those who did not get this combination. But we cannot uh, infer any uh, causation between the treatment and uh, the uh, mortality because patients who were more sick or had more severe COVID-19, they were probably more likely to receive this combination. So it's very hard to make any firm conclusions about that treatment and more data and more follow-up is needed. Uh, which brings me to the to the next steps here. Uh, I think uh, we're we're planning for further analysis, uh, uh, analyzing much higher sample size, a much higher number of cases. Right now, I think we have probably exceeded 2,700, uh, 2,700 cases, and we plan to do the analysis and, and report updated data in the near future, uh, so we can inform. Uh, the scientific community, the providers, and the patients about important information, how to deal with treatment of cancer and COVID-19. Uh, we published the first analysis at the very prestigious journal called Lancet on May 28, 2020, that uh, pretty much uh, preceded the oral presentation by Dr. Warner at ASCO meeting that we discussed before. One last finding I will highlight is that we looked at the um, uh, potential association between what type of cancer treatment the patient received uh, uh, and whether that had anything to do with the chance of dying. And actually, we found no significant correlation 
between cytotoxic chemotherapy versus not, any other therapy versus not, uh, and cancer mortality and, and, and mortality at 30 days, which means that if the patient needs treatment for the cancer, we feel comfortable based on the data so far to still go ahead and treat the patient for cancer based on the treatment they need. Uh, and that's an important message so far. Uh, and that's an important message to the patients that they have to have individualized discussions with their providers, their oncologists, uh, about pros and cons of particular treatments, chemotherapy, radiation therapy, surgery, so on and so forth. But so far, I think uh, uh, we feel comfortable, uh, especially the COVID-19 uh, uh, pandemic um, uh, is controlling a particular center uh, uh, that the patient who needs treatment for cancer needs to get treatment for cancer and, and, and uh, should, uh, we should avoid delays because cancer itself can be a risk factor uh, for death uh, and complications. So uh, I think that's an important take-home point that we're able to, in, even in our center at SCCA and other centers, to uh, still go ahead with uh, uh, essential treatments. And uh, we tried very hard to avoid delays uh, on cancer therapy. And this data... Uh, support this notion of uh, um, avoiding delays and still treat patients with cancer uh, as, uh, if indicated. And of course, this uh, requires individual discussions with a patient one by one with their providers to identify pros and cons risks and benefits for each treatment and each decision. Definitely. And certainly a lot of key takeaways from this study and still more information that you're gathering. Where can uh, providers find more information about the study and where they can go to, to get updates as well on future findings? Of course. Uh, I, think, I think that's an important uh, uh, question. There is a website that I urge the providers uh, to go and look at. Uh, the, it's, the website is C cc19.org. Uh, the, the, it's like a triple c19.org. And um, the website uh, has um, a lot of information about the consortium, frequently asked questions, collaboration, collaborators, COVID-19 and cancer, uh, different publications, resources, and other efforts. And uh, if uh, providers, you know, in different cancer centers want to join, they can become members of this consortium. They can reach out to us they can reach out to Dr. Warner. Uh, the contact information are listed in the website, and uh, they can be, uh, become part of that. But anybody can contribute cases uh, because the survey, uh, you know, can be accessed, you know, by different providers in different cancer centers. Uh, of course, they can check with their own regulatory body uh, to get approval. But I think uh, it could be great if we can capture uh, as many cases that exist out there as we can in order to inform, you know, this knowledge. Uh, need and, 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 and cover this knowledge gap. Um, as a matter of fact, I would say that uh, more than 100 institutions have been a part of this consortium. Uh, there were 106 institutions as of recently, and the list is growing. So um, the other great resource will be the Lancet publication, as I mentioned, uh, that was published on May 28, 2020, as well as the Ask Oral presentation by Dr. Warner. But the website that I mentioned ccc19.org. Um, uh, it, uh, it has a lot of information that can be useful for, for many providers. Again, ccc19.org. Thank you so much, Dr. Grievous, for that information and for all the work that you've been doing. We'll be sure to include that website link on our SCCA provider blog. And we really appreciate the time you've taken today to share 
more information about this study and all of the work that you've been doing. Uh, my pleasure, Amy, and uh, looking forward for more information uh, from this consortium. Uh, one of the findings that I, I, I think will be important to also quote is that uh, we, we saw a, a, a mortality at one month of 13%, one three percent that was uh, higher than what we have seen in the literature uh, in other data sets, not necessarily in patients with cancer. Uh, that uh, tells us that this is a high-risk population. But as I mentioned, you know, uh, cancer itself requires treatment, which uh, can be essential, and these decisions can be uh, uh, one by one uh, made, and uh, uh, risk and benefits can be um, uh, balanced in individual providers. But we're, we're here to answer questions and health providers and patients in this uh, adventure. Thank you so much for joining me today, Dr. Grievous, and thanks to our listeners for tuning in to the Oncology Soundbite. To hear more, subscribe to the Oncology Soundbite in your favorite podcast app. And to receive updates on our future podcast episodes, along with other news out of SCCA, go to seattlecca.org slash provider blog and click subscribe. Until next time, Thanks for listening and take good care.